Well, today we're going to continue with a study of the life of Jesus that we started last week out of the Gospel of Luke and that we're calling the Rhythm of Grace. And um, as I said last week, the reason that we're studying the life of Jesus together is because the life of Jesus is for us the goal. It's success. That's it. And so what that means then is that success is not what the world comes to us with and says, all right, you have longings in your heart. Great. Here's how to meet them. Be this, become this, do this, achieve this, gain this, acquire this, build this, or some other form of this that isn't Christ. And we talked last week about the fact that, you know, A, that doesn't work. And a lot of you here today can attest to that because you've been and done and become and built and achieved and gained and acquired and all of that stuff already. It doesn't work. And secondly, it's not the goal. So the goal for believer in, a believer in Christ, for a Christian, one who has come to Jesus and surrendered not just their sin but their selves to Him, who recognize that this Christ, God in the flesh, at the price of His infinitely valuable blood, has not just washed away our sin, guys, He's purchased us for, our, or for Himself. We belong now to Him. Okay, well, he has a goal for us, and the goal for us is really it's him. It's conformity to his image. It is for my mind and for your mind, the way that we think to look more and more and more like his mind and, well, less and less like the mind that we had when he claimed us. It's for my heart and your heart what we're passionate about, what we love and hate, what excites us and doesn't, what we value and don't, all of those different things, to look more and more and more like his heart and less like the heart that we had when he enlivened us, awakened us made us alive, our lives, to look more and more like His and, and less and less like the life that we had when He found us. And so we're studying the life of Jesus because the life of Jesus is for us the goal, and we're calling it the rhythm of grace because that is the spiritual rhythm that the Spirit of God who inhabits us, who makes us alive, who gives us our faith, uses to make us more and more like Him and less and less like us. And we talked about the fact that last week that that pattern or that rhythm is simply the pattern of the gospel, and that pattern of the gospel informs everything that we do. So we want that rhythm of grace or that pattern of the gospel to to consume your days as you engage in it in your personal worship, to take over your weeks as we then come together and worship together according to that same rhythm of grace. And we said, you know what? The Christian calendar with its various seasons and its various emphases, well, that captures our year. And it begins not on January 1, but as we talked about last week, that first Sunday of Advent, it starts with Advent. This is the beginning of the Christian calendar, and Advent is different from Christmas. And it's important to see the difference. See, on Christmas, we remember that our God is a God who breaks through. He doesn't just stay up in heaven and wind everything up and turn it loose and watch like reality TV or something, but instead He is intimately involved in absolutely every aspect of absolutely every one of our lives. He is a God who breaks through in real space, in real time, in a real world, this one, and in every one of our real lives, whether we recognize it as breakthrough or not, He does, and we remember that God who breaks through as we celebrate on that day of Christmas, the great breakthrough of God that is the birth of Jesus. But Advent is different. It's a day or a season, rather, of anticipation of Christmas in which you and I take some time in the midst of the chaos of the holidays to intensely, purposefully focus upon the kind of breakthroughs that we're longing for right now. And 
and in which we ask ourselves two questions. Number one, what kind of a breakthrough am I longing for right now? Number two, and this is the one I want you to think through with me today, am I really looking to God to satisfy that longing? Or am I actually looking to the other things of this world? You know, the things that this world comes to me with and says, oh, what's your longing? Oh, that's your longing. Okay, well, here's the answer then. Do, be, become, gain, acquire, achieve, build this. This is how you satisfy that, which is futility. It A, doesn't work, and B, it's not consistent with the goal of God for my life, which belongs to Him. And as I thought about those two questions this week, I thought, you know, I really probably can't help you very much on question number one. What are you longing for right now? I think that's something that you need to work through with the Lord. But I I think that, based on the story that we're going to look at today, I can probably help you with question number two, am I really looking to God to satisfy that longing? And here's why I say that. I say that because I think the answer to that question is oftentimes found in the way that we respond when God does, in fact, break through in our lives. And He does. He breaks through sometimes in ways that we expect and sometimes in ways that we don't expect, in ways that make us happy and in ways that make us sad, in ways that make us joyful and in ways that make us angry. Ways that make us weep tears of sorrow and ways that make us weep tears of joy too. How do we respond when God does break through in our lives, either to heal us or to use us? What do we do? And the reason that's important is because the breakthroughs of God almost always require us to take the very things that this world comes to us with and says, oh, tell me about your longings. Okay, well, here's the answer. Do, be, become, acquire, achieve, gain, etc. The breakthroughs of God almost always require us to take those things and to subordinate them to whatever His purposes are in His breakthrough in our life. And oftentimes to sacrifice them. And at that point, we've got to make a decision, don't we? You know, Lord, do I really want to embrace this breakthrough from you and and gain whatever it is that you're trying to do in me and whatever it is that you'd like to do through me? Or would I rather you leave me alone and I hang on to this? It's very revealing. So then here's the operative question for us today. How do I respond, that's what I want you to ask yourself, when God does in fact break through in my life, be that according to my expectations or otherwise? Do I respond by trying to hide, by trying to shelter, by trying to gain, by trying to keep, by trying to, you know, keep away from the Lord all of the things that, frankly, I am rightly concerned that this breakthrough from God is in all likelihood going to affect? And so then my prayer goes something like this, God, break through in my life, but don't mess with my plan for my life. Can you relate to that? Oh, Lord, deliver me. Just don't touch my money. Heal me, God. Heal me. But don't touch my sin. Don't talk to me about this. Lord, draw me into a relationship with you that is so personal, that is so intense, that is such a close walk that I could almost literally see you. I can feel you with me. I can hear your voice in my heart. Do that, O God, but leave my kids alone and leave my health alone and leave my business alone and leave what? 
How do I respond when God breaks through in my life? Am I hiding? Am I sheltering? Am I protecting things that I don't want him to mess with? Then I'm subordinating him too in that sense. Or am I just going all in and saying, you know what, I'm not really trying to look to the things of this world to satisfy the longings of my heart because, Lord, I've gained your perspective from heaven. I've heard your wisdom. I've talked to other people. I've recognized that, A, that really doesn't work. I mean, it's great, but it doesn't work. And it's not the goal for the life that you have purchased for your glory and for my good with the blood of your son. So here's the deal. Have your way in me. And have your way through me. Take me. I'm yours. Just do what you want to do. Break through in me in whatever way that you see fit. For you know best and you love most. So how do you respond when God breaks through in your life? Be thinking about that as we now pick up our study in Luke 1, beginning at verse 26. Luke says this. He says that in the sixth month, meaning in the sixth month of the supernaturally enabled pregnancy of this woman that we met last week together with her husband, and her name is Elizabeth, and her husband, an elderly priest, is named Zechariah. She is, as we'll discover today as we continue this study, a a relative of Mary. So she's someone who's already in the life of Mary who becomes the mother of the Lord. She has been barren all of her life and was past menopause incapable of having children at the very moment that her husband standing in the temple before the altar of incense was praying for deliverance from that barrenness when the angel Gabriel, who we'll meet again in just a second, appeared to her husband and said, you know what? Here's the deal. Your wife is going to become pregnant with John the Baptist, the one who will go before the Messiah, the one who will prepare the people spiritually, and how? By a ministry of repentance. You're like, how do I get prepared spiritually for the advent of the Lord? By working through some things in repentance. He will pave the way for the ministry of Christ. He will, you know, till the soil, if you will, for the Savior who will come right on his heels. And when the Savior comes, he'll say things like, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He too will be given the privilege of identifying Jesus as the one that we've all been waiting for. That's the pregnancy that we're talking about. In the sixth month of that pregnancy, the angel Gabriel, that same angel, was sent once again from God, meaning from God's throne, from God's very presence. That's very significant in this story. Last week, he says to Zechariah, who's like, hey, you know, I'm not sure that I'm buying all this. What does he say? He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Lord. Well, he was sent once again from the Lord. But this time to a city of Galilee named Nazareth and to a 13 or so... Think about that. Year old virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And I will grant you that there's probably not a lot thus far in this description of Mary that, you know, you and I can relate to. But here I think is something that we can relate to. We can relate to somebody who at least thinks they've got their life all figured out. Somebody who has a plan. I mean, they're not sure if it's going to go exactly according to plan. And I mean, if you live long enough, but she's just 13 at this point, you realize that it pretty much never goes exactly according to plan, but she thinks it's going to go a particular way, just like I do, just like you do. That we can relate to. And that, in fact, is Mary. And here's Mary's plan. I've described this for you in the past, but, you know, her plan hasn't changed from year to year. So 
Here's her plan. I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to have a handful of children. He's going to hopefully, hopefully have a successful career as a general contractor. And then if everything goes just about perfectly, we can buy a villa on the Mediterranean and finish out our days enjoying frequent visits from our grandkids. That's her plan. And now we can relate. Those are wonderful things to desire. What's the problem with her plan or mine or yours? Well, nothing if it accounts for the fact that our lives don't belong to us and that God may break through. And if he does, the plan goes down here. And the purposes of God in that breakthrough go up here. Now, if we've got it the other way around, well, then there's an issue. But as long as we're accounting for the Lord in our plan, which Mary is, as we'll now see, all right, we're good. Because again, the breakthroughs from God almost always require us to take our plans and many of the things that we hold near and dear and to subordinate them to His purposes and and even at times to sacrifice, as Mary will very powerfully illustrate. We now read in verse 28 that Gabriel came to her and and he says this to her. He says, greetings, and here it is, you ready? Oh, favored one. And then he says, and the Lord is with you. And it's so curious because Luke then says, but she was greatly troubled, but not at the appearance of this angel who is Gabriel. And that's kind of surprising to me because as you read through the Bible and you look at the angelic appearances, and there are some, I mean, it's not like it happens every day or anything, but there are some, including in this exact same chapter that we're studying. Almost every time the person is troubled at the sight of the angel. So rewind to the beginning of this chapter. Zechariah is in the temple. He's offering this offering of incense. He's praying for deliverance from barrenness for he and his wife. And the angel Gabriel appears to the right side of the altar, and he is troubled at the sight of this angel. So he's a mature man, an experienced priest. Here's a 13-year-old girl. All right, she's troubled, but not at the sight. She's troubled at the saying. She's troubled by what he hears, or what she hears. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And so she tries here to discern. And in the Greek language, the idea here is she is actively and continuously ruminating over this statement. It's like Gabriel has just shown up and handed her a riddle and said, here, solve this. And she's just working it through and working it through and working it through and working it through, trying to discern what this greeting might be. In other words, exactly what is it, that, what does it mean to be a favored one of the Lord whom he is with? Like, what does that involve? What does that entail? What will that require me to subordinate to his purposes? How will that affect the plan that I have for my life? Because it will. And what's awesome is Gabriel's response. Because as you read it, you kind of get the impression that Gabriel is troubled that she's troubled. It says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. He's saying, don't be troubled. And then here's his rationale. You ready? Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Why is that troubling to you? And and what strikes me about that as I look at this story is the difference between the perspective of Gabriel who comes from before the Lord himself. So he comes bringing into this story, into Mary's life and mine and yours, the perspective of heaven. 
So we see the difference between that perspective and the perspective of Mary, who just like all the rest of us, knows only the perspective of earth and specifically over what it means to be the favored one of the Lord whom he is with. And based upon the massively disruptive effect that this breakthrough from God will inevitably have on her life, there's going to be a lot of subordinating and a whole lot of sacrificing on her part as a result of this. No question. I think it's safe to say that the favor of the Lord does not mean that our our plans are going to go according to the way that we have them all planned out. In fact, quite the opposite. Indeed, the favor of the Lord, from our earthly perspective, oftentimes does not look much like favor at all. And that troubles Mary. And, you know, I mean, that kind of troubles me. I think that troubles us. But Gabriel, who alone has the perspective of heaven, is sort of like invading our stories too. And he's going, hey, you know, I'm a little troubled that you're troubled by this. There is a different perspective, guys. There is a better perspective. And in which even the breakthroughs of God that we don't want and that don't make us cry tears of joy are in the final analysis favor. And I think that's a really important thing to ruminate on, to think continuously about, because there are people here today who are the favored ones of the Lord. And here's how we know that. They believe in Christ. They trust in Him. We don't enjoy the favor of God because we deserve it. We enjoy the favor of God because He deserves it and gives it to us by faith. It's the perfect favor of God earned and paid for by the Lord, favored ones of the Lord whom He is with. His Spirit lives within every one of us, but who are nevertheless walking a path that involves cancer. And I'll tell you, from the perspective of earth, that does not look and feel a whole lot like favor, does it? There are favored ones of the Lord with whom He is with that have very difficult marriages. That does not look and feel much like favor. There are favored ones of the Lord whom He is with who are having all kinds of issues with their children, and it is gut-wrenching, and it is difficult, and it does not look, and it does not feel like favor. There are favored ones of the Lord who are experiencing financial disaster. Doesn't look and feel like favor. So anyway, Mary's troubled, and we're troubled, and Gabriel is troubled that, that we're troubled, because he alone has the perspective of heaven. And you say, all right, well, how do I get the perspective of heaven? Because, you know, I don't know about you, Tom, but Gabriel doesn't appear to me. I mean, you know, you're a pastor, so maybe you guys have lunch or something. But uh, And it's breakfast, incidentally. Um, he's an early riser. So, um, no. No, I, he doesn't appear to me either. Where, where do I get that perspective? You get it from the Scriptures. I mean, if you think about it, in the Bible, God has come to you and He's given you a whole lot more than He's given to Mary. In this one visit from this one angel, and even from the Scriptures that she had in her hand in those days, much more. God gives to you the perspective of heaven through His Word, which stands at the center of this rhythm of grace that we're asking you to actively commit to as we enter into this Christian year this Advent, 
That is what shapes and forms your perspective. That is what broadens and strengthens the horizons of your imagination. That is what takes your eyes and gives you eyes of faith by which to see everything that comes into your life from the hand of a sovereign God. It's a game changer. And faith, and that's what we all of us need by which to live. It's how we live comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so then Gabriel appears to Mary, verse 28, and he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was kind of troubled, well, actually greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. She's working it through in her heart, and the angel says to her, Whoa, whoa, do not be troubled. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And here's what that means. It means sacrificing whatever needs to be sacrificed. So what's that going to be for her? Well, let's just start with a reputation. First century young Jewish girls, small town. Man, they valued their reputation. Holy cow. Okay, so now this precious girl is going to show up pregnant, and here's her explanation. An angel appeared to me. It was Gabriel, you know, the one that appeared to Daniel back in Daniel, and then... And then he told me that I was going to be impregnated by God, and and that's, in fact, what's happened. Now, later on, she will say, all generations, from from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And that's worked its way out. I mean, like, we give testimony to that even today, right now. But that's not what her generation called her. They had another name to add also to crazy. Think about that. So that's gone. Her impending marriage to Joseph, how's that going to go? I mean, is that going to be a story that he's going to buy? He doesn't buy it. You know the deal. An angel has to come and appear to him in a vision and tell him, hey, you know what? This actually, this is for real, and you need to take this woman as your bride which he does. And in doing so, what happens to his reputation? Gone. Same thing. Because what did everybody assume? Well, obviously he's the father. I mean, just line up her plans, line up her dreams, line up all of her expectations for how her life would go, best case scenario at the very least, and and consider the impact of this. You have found favor with God, the angel says. Here's what that means, Mary. It means sacrificing whatever needs to be sacrificed so that God himself in the form of Jesus Christ can be conceived in you, formed in you, and then birthed forth into this world through you. That's the plan. For he then says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High because that's whose son, as a result of this supernatural conception, he is going to be. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And then Mary asks the obvious question. She says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And that's not a question of unbelief. She's saying, okay, this is going to happen, but could you mechanically help me understand how exactly that's going to happen? I mean, I'm betrothed. Do I need to get married sooner? You know, does that mean that we're going to have a child who's going to be the son of God? I mean, 
How is this whole thing going to play out? It's very different from Zechariah. This same angel appears to announce a supernatural pregnancy to Zechariah in the temple. You remember this this elderly, mature, and experienced priest. I mean, just compare him with this 13-year-old girl. She's amazing. And he doubts the whole deal. And he is stricken mute. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and as a result of your unbelief, you will not speak until the day that this child is born. Mary believes the child is conceived in her, and who is that child that comes forth from her? The living Word of God Himself. What a difference. It's remarkable. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since, you know, I mean, I'm... I'm a virgin, and I understand how biologically these things occur. And and the angel gives a, a really telling answer. The angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy the Son of God. He's saying the same Holy Spirit who moved above the waters of darkness and of chaos in the original creation of this world, who ordered all things, who formed all things, who filled everything that was empty, who whispered the stars into existence. This is not too big a task for him to create an embryonic form, the baby that will be God, clothing himself in your humanity, our humanity, through your body, Mary and born together as the God-man. It's very striking, and I'll tell you what else is striking. When you get to the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke, and you look there in chapter 1 of that book, what does Jesus say to His disciples? He's risen from the dead. He's ascending into heaven. He sends them back to the city of Jerusalem, and He says, I want you to wait, and it's the same language, for the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Christ by the Spirit, is conceived in all of us who have faith in Him. Now, we don't give birth to Him physically, but we are to manifest the reality of this Jesus, to give birth to that by the power of that Spirit who conceives that faith in embryonic form in us. And then what does life do? It grows. It grows. And we look less and less like Well, the people we were when it was conceived in us. And more and more and more and more like the one who is giving birth, if you will, to himself into this world through every single one of us. And so Mary says, all right, how is this going to happen? And here's what the Spirit says. He says, listen, you can't do this. You can't conceive the Son of God. And you can't give birth to Him. But what you can't do the Spirit of the Lord will do, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. I mean, births, if you've ever witnessed one, are not easy. And cancer isn't easy, and marriage isn't easy, and children aren't easy, and financial struggles aren't easy. But if you embrace even these breakthroughs and engage them as one who sees not just from an earthly perspective and not just with the natural eyes that are found in your head, but with the spiritual eyes of your heart, as Paul describes them, 
that have been awakened and enlivened by God's Spirit and given the perspective of heaven and the horizons of the imagination of Scripture through the Bible, which stands at the center of the rhythm of grace. If you can do that, then what you will learn to do is you sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed in light of the purposes and plans of God for you in and through whatever breakthrough it is. You'll learn to find in your God what you really and truly couldn't find anyway in the things that you have to sacrifice. And that for you will be all the more precious and it will be favor indeed. And so Mary is sitting around, you know, and she's, I don't know, reading Bride Magazine or something and marveling over the great plan that she has for her life. And this angel shows up and says, Mary, subordinate your plans. Set them down. Put the magazine away. It's going to be different for you. You're going to have a baby and you're not going to have a very good way of explaining it. Ruminate on that. But he's going to be the son of God. So don't leave that part out in your thinking either. And Mary said to the angel in verse 32, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her again, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then he says something else that I find really kind and very interesting. He says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, we've talked about her, in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so now what is he saying? He's saying, hey, Mary, you know Elizabeth, that God has woven into the story of your life from birth? Well, she too is pregnant. Yeah, I know, no, no, I I know she's barren. No, I, I know that she's past menopause. Listen, I'm the angel who showed up and delivered the message, okay? So it's a miraculous pregnancy announced in advance by an angel very similar, not the same, but similar to yours, the obvious distinction being that one has a natural conception pattern, and this one, the Holy Spirit is the one who does the conceiving. But I just think it's very kind of the Lord that He intentionally places somebody into the life of Mary so that, you know, when favor doesn't look much like favor to her, she can go to Elizabeth and say, listen, have I lost my mind? Tell me again. The angel appeared to you too, yes. And you you too are miraculous. Yes, I can't deny the fact that there's a child growing in you, yes. And, and I too am impregnated, yes. And, and even amidst all of the rejection that I'm experiencing and, and all of the names that are not blessed that I'm being called, I'm walking the path that the Lord has for me, yes. And this will result in Christ being birthed into this world, yes. What a wonderful thing someone like an Elizabeth is. For anyone in whom God by His Spirit conceives Christ and seeks to give birth to it, because I'll tell you, you'll get called some names too, really, you know? I mean, either to your face or not. And He's given you those people, and they sit here with you every day or every Sunday. They meet with you in your community groups. We're made to do life together. And He gives Elizabeth to Mary. And so the angel says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, you know her story, Mary, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing 
will be impossible with God, which of course brings us to the big drum roll moment in the story. You know, the great climactic question, what will Mary do? And it's not climactic at all because we've all read the story hundreds of times and we know what she does. We know that she takes her plans and she says, oh, okay, we're going to put those down here. Lord, we're going to put this breakthrough from you up here. And her reputation is gone and her impending marriage is at least up in the air for a time. Everything changes. And every generation now calls her blessed, but not hers. So the question really isn't, you know, what does Mary do? The question is, what am I going to do or what are you going to do? Or really, I mean, to put it within the context of this conversation that we're having, the question is, what do we do? What do we typically do when God breaks through in our lives? Because, you know, the breakthroughs of God require us at times to sacrifice the very things that we might otherwise look to and that this world comes to us with and says, oh, you have a longing. Okay, well then do, be, become, gain, acquire, achieve. Here is the answer. Do you start hiding them? Do you start sheltering them? In truth, are your prayers, Lord, break through. I really want that, but not if. That's going to mess with my plan. Or that's going to touch my bank account. Or that's going to you know, require me to do something that I, I, I'm going to have to find a way to fit into my busy schedule. Lord, I want to walk closely with you. I, I, I do, but leave my kids alone. Leave my health alone. Leave my what's up here and what's down here. And how ought it to be? Or do you say, you know what? All right, I'm all in. I'm not trying to satisfy the desires of my heart with the things of the world. A, it doesn't work. B, it's not the plan. So Lord, accomplish your work in me. And accomplish your work through me. That's what Mary does. She says this, it's magnificent. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the what? I am the servant of the Lord. The Lord is not my servant. I am His servant. Let it be to me according to your word. She doesn't say, look, you know, can you give me some of the details on this? Can we work some stuff? Maybe there's like a negotiated settlement we can agree on. She just turns it all over and says, No matter what happens, Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So how do you respond when God breaks through in your life? And how might this perspective from heaven suggest that, well, maybe that needs to change? Let's pray. Lord, we do praise you for the word that you have given to us in the scriptures. We thank you, God. Um, for the perspective from heaven that they contain. Lord, you have not left us without a word. Your voice goes out, not just in all the creation, but in the Bible too. Spirit of the Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts like Mary. Lord, that embrace your breakthroughs with the perspective of heaven and in and through whom Christ then is born and brought forth to the world. God, what a wonderful, wonderful privilege that is. 
So thank you for this young lady whom you crafted and shaped. And I pray, Lord, that her story would intersect with ours this morning. As we enter into it, that it too has and will enter into us as we we concern ourselves, we ruminate on it. And Lord, let it have its effect in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.